I recently heard a story that I want to uh, share with you guys. The story goes like this. There were a group of friends, and these friends were having a debate about the Lord's Prayer. One of the guys said to him, man, you don't know the Lord's Prayer. He said, yeah, I do. What are you talking about? His friend said, I bet you don't know the Lord's Prayer. He said, fine, put your money where your mouth is. $10 says, I know the Lord's Prayer. The friend agreed. He said, sure, if you can recite the Lord's Prayer, I will give you $10 of my own. Sure, not a problem. He began to recite the prayer. He said, now as I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. His friend looked at him and started laughing. He said, oh, man, you got me. You really do know the Lord's Prayer. Here's $10. Right? You can use that. Feel free. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series on the power of spiritual habits focusing on what I believe to be one of the most powerful habits we can create. Because when this habit is utilized in the most effective way, when we employ it every single day, it has a way of us experiencing God's power in our lives because it invokes God to take action. And if we're honest, all of us in this room would love for God to take action in our lives or in the lives of those that we know. There are, for some of us, affairs and mistrusts that have been sown, and we want God to take action. For some of us, our bodies are failing, and there are certain ailments that we are going through, and we want God to take action. For many of us in the room, it just feels like maybe the house is burning down, and everything around us is crashing, and it's nothing but chaos, and we just want God to take action. Or like the many Americans who experience this, we look at our calendar. There is no white space at all. Everything is full. There is no time to rest. There is no break. There is no relief. And we want God to take action. The solution to all of this, I believe, is what John Wesley says is prayer because prayer is where the action is. The problem is that for many of us, let me just say some of us, because I don't want you to think I'm beating this up today. But for some of us, we treat prayer more like a spare tire than a steering wheel. Instead of prayer being used to guide our lives, to direct our lives, to send us in the direction that the Holy Spirit would want us to go in, to orient our lives every single day, we use it as a spare tire. That thing we know is there but really don't know how to use we just know we're supposed to use it in case of emergencies. And so when an emergency shows up in our lives and we find ourselves unemployed and we're going through interviews, we say, God, I promise if you get me to the 10th interview, I will go to church on Sunday. God, I promise if you can help me get rid of this cold and this mucus, I will make sure I tithe. God, I promise if you, we make these proclamations because in our moments of need and emergency, we tend to treat prayer as the spare tire. The truth is, when we fail to create the habit of praying daily, it diminishes our experience of God taking action in our lives. Or putting it another way, it diminishes our experience of God's power 
in our life. And so today, I want to look at the habit of prayer and the power that it wields to encourage us about what it is that we actually possess as Christians and how this power can not only transform our lives, but the world around us. And to do this, I want to use a man by the name of Daniel. He's considered one of the minor prophets. He's there in the Old Testament, and his life is a life of prayer and fervent prayer. And we will witness through this Old Testament character exactly how that power of prayer can be used for us if we develop a daily habit of it. And so there are three scenes in his life. I don't have time to teach you the whole entire book. But there are three scenes in his life that I really want us to draw in on. The first scene is the life in which he is there with the king's conundrum, Nebuchadnezzar's conundrum. I call it the king's conundrum. The second scene is him at the unjust lion's den. And the final scene is the vision and anxiety of a great war. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful for another day that was not promised to us and an opportunity to worship you, Lord. We just ask that now as the word comes forth, it would comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable, and meet us all in the in-between. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Before I talk about these three scenes in Daniel's life, it's important for us to know the character of Daniel and who he is. What we know about Daniel is that he lived in Judah and was born in Judah. He was of nobility, and so probably one of his family were in the royal court or had some connection to the king. He lived his life in turmoil and turbulence because most of his youth was spent in war. Babylon was laying, conquering, conquesting Israel. And finally, when he was about 16 years old, the war stopped because the enemy won. King Nebuchadnezzar then requested that some of these men would join his royal court. And here's what he had to say about the criteria that he gave to his chief advisor. He said, those who were chosen had to be young men without any physical defect. They had to be handsome. Somebody say handsome. Amen, Lord. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's place. These weren't just everyday kind of people. The king wanted the cream of the crop. And so Daniel, along with three others, were chosen to enter into the cultural education of the Babylonian Empire for three years. It was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All four of them were comrades, and all four of them met this criteria. And what we will learn about his life is as a Hebrew immigrant in a foreign land, Daniel would rise to become one of the wisest men in the world and got positions because of that. The first experience that he faced that we'll look at today is Nebuchadnezzar's conundrum. What happened in this text is that the king had a dream. He had one of those dreams that keep you up at night. One of the dreams where you can't sleep because you're trying to wrestle with processing, what does this all mean? Anybody ever dream like that or just couldn't go to sleep at night, something was bothering you? And so here's what he did as a king. He has a royal court full of advisors. He goes to them and he says, hey, guys, can y'all please interpret my dream for me? They said, sure, king, we'll interpret to you. Tell me what your dream is and I got you. The king says, no, 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 no. If I'm going to trust your interpretation of the dream, 
I have to trust that you know what I dreamed. They say, wait a minute. You want me to do what? King said, I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and then I'll let you interpret what I dreamed. My wife tells me all the time, baby, I don't know what you're thinking until you say it, right? <laughs> so for men in the room, if you think she's looking beautiful, just say it. Promise you, and save you conversations later. I'm still being sanctified. <laughs> so the king gets angry with his people. He says, listen, if I hired you to advise me, and you can't do the one thing I'm asking you to do, then what's the point of you being here anyway? The king sets out an order for everybody to be executed who were in his royal court of advisors. Scripture says Daniel learns about this, and immediately he returns to his house and explains the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Isaiah. Those are the three boys we talked about. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And notice what happens. During the night, while they were praying, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Here's the first principle on the power of prayer I want to teach you from Daniel's life. It's this. When you and I pray, it invites heaven to earth. When you and I pray and we go to God and we immediately begin a conversation with God, it invites heaven to earth. There is no other medium. There is no other means. There is no other mechanism. There is no other way that we can invite heaven to earth except through prayer. I don't know if I need to tell this to somebody, but there is not enough rocks you can rub. There's not enough plant and sage you can light up in your house. There are no people or places that you can go to connect more with God than it is through prayer because prayer is the only channel that will invite heaven to earth. Prayer, in a way, brings eternity into time. Prayer brings divine into space. Prayer brings the sacred into the secular. When we pray, it's an invitation for God to begin to take action in our lives. Now, let me tell you this. God is all-powerful and knows all things. But sometimes the reason why God doesn't get involved in our mess and in our lives is because he's waiting to see if we want him to get involved anyway. Are you going to pray about this situation, or are you going to try to fix it yourself? Are you going to let me be the steering wheel and guide this situation, or when you get a flat tire, are you going to call me for emergencies as a spare? Oftentimes, God is waiting for us to make the invitation to come inside of our lives and our situation, because then he knows we want him to take action and we begin to do so. So when we pray, we relinquish our control. We take our hands off the steering wheel and allow God to guide us. And then we give our concerns to God and we say to God, I ask you to take control. I invite heaven to earth and I want you to take action inside of my marriage. When we pray, we ask God to take action inside of our family, to take action inside of our finances, to take action inside of our bodies and inside of our minds and inside of our pains. When we pray, it has the power to invite heaven to earth and to take action because it has the power of prayer. Put it another way, when we pray, we invite a heavenly solution to an earthly problem. Prayer becomes a heavenly solution to an earthly problem. 
Daniel shares his vision with the king. He tells the king, hey, here's what you dreamed. You dreamed of a statue with different characteristics. These represent your kingdoms. Your kingdom right now is the head. It's strong. But all these others will eventually move down to the feet, which is clay. At that point, the next generations, your kingdom would fail. At this, the king realizes that Daniel has the gift and tells him these words. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery to me. Then this foreigner named Daniel in a strange land gets established to be the governor of Babylon and makes a final request. I don't want y'all to miss this. I know it's not on the topic of prayer, but this may hit somebody. When Daniel got elevated, he said, I will accept the position if only you allow my three friends to come up with me. So Daniel was made governor of Babylon, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are made his administrators. The next scene that we see is that here in the unjust lion's den, fast forward into Daniel's life. He's no longer serving a Babylonian king, but now he's serving a Persian king. Persia came over and took over and conquered Babylonia. And so now Daniel is in the court. Daniel is so good at what he does that the king establishes 120 governors and makes three supervisors to govern the 120. Daniel is one of the three. So Daniel is like the top guy. He's like in that inner circle that's commanding everything else that happens with the other 120. Daniel is so good at it, he becomes successful, and immediately he gets some haters. Let me tell you, anytime you're doing good in life and you got some haters, that's a good thing. That means you're doing something right because people don't like to celebrate your success. Jealousy kills kindness. The same happened with Daniel. He's having all of this success, and now these people are like that no good immigrant from Judah who got his land conquered. We are the Persians. What are we talking about? Why should we listen to this man? So they try to find a way to take him out. This is why integrity is so good. It's because when they tried to find, Scripture says, damaging evidence, they couldn't find any. Daniel had no incriminating evidence because Daniel was the same in private as he was in public. That's a message for somebody going home. Anyway, (laughs) Daniel then says, Scripture then says, the haters got together and say, all right, we got a Daniel problem. How can we fix it? We know what we're going to do. We will make a law in which anyone who doesn't follow it would be executed. Sure. So they go to the king. Daniel chapter 6 says, for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human other than you, O king, should be thrown into a den of lions. Now let the king issue a written indictment or whatever so that it cannot be altered. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed, so the king Darius issued the written verdict. Meaning here, they said, if anybody in all of your country, king, prays to anyone else except for you, they need to be thrown in the lion's den. The king said, good. Immediately after, Scripture tells us Daniel was in his house, praying three times a day, facing Jerusalem, remembering home, remembering the temple, remembering his God. They got him. So they come back over to the king. 
hey, king, you know that one of three that supervises everything? Yeah, he was just praying. And you said if you catch anybody praying, they're going to get dead in the lion's den. So can we please put them in the lion's den now, hurriedly, fast, quick, and in a hurry? The king's hands are tied. The Bible tells us that he was mad, real angry, not at them, but at the situation that he put himself in. He couldn't change anything because the laws of Medes and Persia required it. And so what did he do? He had to put Daniel in the lion's den. He brings Daniel down to that cave. He says, Daniel, I pray that your God rescues you because my hands are tied. They roll the stone over the entrance. He takes off his ring and makes a signet on the stone so that everybody knows this is unchangeable. His fate is sealed. And he goes home. And don't you know that when he came back the very next morning and they opened up that lion's den, he called out and said, Daniel, are you still there? Daniel, please tell me somehow, some way you made it. And Daniel responds, oh, king, I am here and all is well. Here's a second principle that I want to teach you about the power of prayer. Not only does it have the power to invite heaven to earth, but prayer has the power to change your situation. See, I don't want you to miss what happened. Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's court was a praying man when he heard that an edict had been sent. Whoever cannot interpret his dream would be executed, and then now everybody's going to be executed. He went to his friends, and he said, y'all, we got to pray, and he got a vision. Then he was a man of prayer because when they couldn't find a reason in the Persian court to kill him, they said, we're going to trap him because we know what he does. He's a praying man. So they called him praying three times a day. It was prayer that made him get into the lion's den. So when he becomes in the lion's den, I can just imagine Daniel saying, my God, my God, here I am. Can you save me? Can you protect me? Can you change this? And what happened was that God changed the lion's den into a petting zoo. what was meant to kill him and take him out, God used to bring him out as a testimony. And what scripture tells us is that when he came out, the, the king quickly, without any haste, without any laws, without anybody else said, quick, turn those folks who put him in here, who tried to make a way for him to get in here, take them, their wives and their children, and give them to the lions. And the lions were so hungry, they devoured them before their feet could hit the bottom. What I'm trying to tell us this morning is that what is meant for evil can turn to good because the power of prayer can change our situations. Oh, y'all not hearing me this morning. Let me just tell you this. Let me tell you this. Prayer can change sickness and a disease into health. Prayer can change unemployment into an empire. Prayer can change terminal cancer into a survivor. Prayer can change financial debt into philanthropy. Prayer can change your haters into your lovers. Prayer can change your estrangements into reconciliation. Prayer can change everything about you because it invites heaven to earth. I want to share this quick story with you. My wife shared it with me when we first met. She was at a Youth conference. It was non-denominational. It was different. I'll be honest with y'all, right? It's not the Methodist Lakeview camps we're used to here. At this conference, there were thousands of youth, thousands of youth. And in between certain moments, they would have prayer time. You would see all types of charismatic things happen, right? You imagine it, it's there. My wife tells a story that a young girl came up to her. She was probably only 14 years old, 16. She had been having pains inside of her stomach, and it's because 
the doctor told her, you have cysts on your ovaries. At 14 or 16 years old, this girl had cysts on her ovaries. And the complication and implication of that meant she may not have children. She tells this to my wife. My wife, full of the Holy Spirit, lays hands on her and prays for her. Y'all, this girl, the next day, goes to the restroom. When she gets up, she noticed what looked like cysts inside of the toilet bowl. She calls the doctor. They get tests and come to find out that the cysts that were on her ovaries are gone. When I tell you that prayer has the power to change your situations, it's not because it's a theory. It's because I have lived it. I have witnesses. I have been blessed by God to lay hands on somebody who couldn't walk, and now they're jumping around. I have witnessed people lay hands on people that had stuttering problems, and now they can speak. I have witnessed people lay hands on those that have been possessed by demons, and now they're cast out. When I tell you that prayer changes things, it's because I have seen it, and I know it for my own life. My wife was in labor for 72 hours and prayer is what got us through, not that medicine. <laughs> prayer changes things, not just in the most ethereal, miraculous, supernatural, but even in the simple ordinary. It can make you get to work quicker through traffic. But I know I'm not naive enough to just think that when you pray, everything changes. Because the question truly becomes, Pastor, what happens when I pray and nothing happens? What happens when I invite heaven to earth and I'm pleading all day and night and I'm fasting and I'm asking God, God, change the situation, change what's happening to me, change all of this. What happens when the lions do attack? What happens when what you fear actually happens to you? What I want to say to us in this moment is something we'll learn from the last scene of Daniel's life, and that's this. Prayer invites heaven to earth. That's a fact. Prayer has the power to change your situation. And if prayer can't change your situation, it'll change you for your situation. Prayer invites heaven to earth. Prayer changes your situation, but prayer also can change us for the situation. In the last scene of Daniel's life, he receives this message about a great war. Scripture says it's true. It's going to happen. It's the real deal. Daniel's response to this is he's triggered because when he was a young boy growing up in Judah, he remembered what war was like. He remembered the catapults. He remembered the walls coming down. He remembered the pain. And now as an old man, he gets this message and it shakes him to his core. The Bible tells us that there's no breath in his lungs, that he's full of anxiety, that he just can't bear the weight of this news. And in this, God shows up in another vision. And what God does is, Daniel says, it looks like the image of a man. Somebody like the son of a man. It, it took this shape and he just reached out and touched my lips. And when he touched my lips, I was able to speak. And, and when I spoke, I told him, God, I don't know what to do with this. My breath is gone. There's no life in me. Anybody ever received news that just took the life out of you? Amen. Daniel was in that place, and he said, I, don't, I can't even stand up. God touched his lips and told him, listen, be strong. Be really strong. It's going to be okay. Stand up. 
and be bold. And immediately, Scripture says, the strength was restored to Daniel. Søren Kierkegaard, in one of his famous quotes, said, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. Sometimes when we pray, things won't change around us. Sometimes when we pray, the thing that we fear actually happens to us. But at the same time, God can change us to be prepared to deal with what's coming our way. Daniel knew a great war was happening. There's no way around that. But what God did is said, I'm going to touch you. And when I touch you, you're going to have the strength to deal with this. Some of us right now are dealing with things that we know can't change. We got to go through it. We got to go through it. We have to deal with it. There's no way around it. And when we pray, it invites heaven to earth and for God to say, I will make you stronger for it. I will give you your resiliency. When all is chaos, I will be your peace. When everybody hates you and you can't find love anywhere, I will give you love. When you can't find community and you're isolated, I will give you community. Even in this moment, when you need everything from everybody and can't find it and the situation is not changing, I will change you for the situation. Here's a case of point that's so powerful and beautiful. When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't ask for the situation to be changed because he knew he had to go through with it in order for us to save, to be saved. And so he hung on that cross. And what he cried out was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into you, my spirit, I commit. And in that moment, God prepared Jesus for what he was going to have to go through. Life is hard. Misfortune is real. Sin is real. Sickness is real. Defeat is real. Anxiety is real. These things are real. And we will face them. But when we can get down on our knees and pray every day and allow prayer to be our steering wheel instead of the spare tire, God has a way of changing us for the situation so that we don't have to go through it alone and so that we don't have to go through it unprepared and isolated. David lived most of his life as a stranger in a foreign land far from home. The man served under about four to five different kings. He lived under three different kingdoms, Judah, Babylon, and Persia. And yet he was a man devoted to God who prayed without ceasing. And he was a man whose life dictates to us that when we pray, we invite heaven to earth. When we pray, we have the power to change our situations. And if nothing else, when we pray, we have the power to change us for our situation. So here's the last thing I want to do as the band comes back up. I wouldn't be a good friend to you if I teach you about this power principle. And I don't also teach you how to use it. Because some of us... Prayer is a spare tire because we don't know how to use it as a steering wheel. And so one of the things that Jesus did in Scripture, he said, when you pray, I want you to pray like this. And he gave us the Lord's Prayer. That Lord's Prayer was not necessarily the exact prayer that we should pray, but it was a category or a formula for how to pray. And if you look at it, there are about six different sections for that prayer. When you all leave today, you should be able to pick up one of these handouts. This is referred to as the prayer hexagon. In it, you will see that when we pray, we ought to pray for first the Father's character, 
Read the Psalms. They always acknowledge who God is, what God has done, and his character. Secondly, when you pray, pray for the Father's kingdom and his will to be done on earth. Pray for God's provision, for God's forgiveness, for God's guidance, and finally, for God's protection. Friends, may this be the manual to help all of us wield this powerful weapon we have been given to deal with life. Because when we create a daily habit of prayer, it has the power to invoke God to take action and an action that will change us and change our situation. And so here's what I want to do in the final moments. I want us to, wherever we are, to close our eyes, to bow our heads, and to just have a moment with God. Just you and God praying. You can pray in your head so you don't freak your neighbors out, right? Oh, we're praying in church out loud. But just wherever you are, have a moment with God. What area of your life do you need God to take action in right now? Is there a situation that you need God to change? Is there a situation you know won't change or it seems like it's not changing? How can God change you for it? Just spend a moment with God. Lord, today we are so blessed to be your children. We are so blessed to have that weapon called prayer. We're so blessed, God, that it is the power to bring you into our lives, to invite you into our lives. And so, and whatever we need, Lord, we give it to you. We ask that you would take control, that you would take the reins, that you would guide us that, God, you would change our situation, that you would bring it out of us to be a testimony for you. And, God, if it doesn't change, Lord, change us for it. Father, we ask all this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Friends, now let us pray the prayer that our brother Jesus Christ taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. <laughs>